Welcome to the Portland Center for Spiritual Living. Welcome to our Easter service. We are a science of mind community. We teach spiritual principles that can change your life and transform the entire planet. And in New Thought, in Science of Mind, which we are, of which we are a part, our Easter celebration is about renewal. It is about a new day. It is about another chance. It is about a new moment. And we celebrate the teachings of Jesus, the Master Teacher, as we celebrate this day. So welcome, everyone. And for those of you who are here for the very first time, welcome. You're in the perfect place. If you look at the seat pocket in front of you, if not directly in the general vicinity, you'll see a bright yellow card. If you would like to fill this out, turn it in at the bookstore. You can get a complimentary CD of today's or another service. And also at the back table, we have a welcome packet, which consists of some information about us, who we are, what we teach, and what goes on here, how you might plug in if you desire to do so, and also a complimentary copy of our Science of Mind magazine, so this is yours to take. So, welcome. So let us begin in prayer. So in this now moment, here, now, I am remembering that there is only one. One life, one heart, one soul, one beingness that is everything, showing up as everyone, expressing itself in all of its creation, in its fullness, in its beauty, in its truth. And so I know that that means me. I know that the truth of me is that which I call God. So that there is a perfection, a beauty in me, as me, that is innate, that I cannot change or alter by anything I think, say, or do. It's just what I am. And because I know this for myself, I know it for everyone here. God is all there is. So that means every single beautiful being in this room now, all God, all perfect, nothing broken, nothing missing, just the perfection, the truth, the beauty that is God. And knowing this to be the truth, I speak this word for and about this holy moment, this sacred space, knowing that what takes place here is the activity of the divine. And so it is perfect. I affirm a willingness on the part of every person seated here this morning, a willingness to open heart, to open mind, to entertain the possibility that who and what we are is perfect just as we are. That there is that within us which has never been harmed, never been altered. That is the truth of us. I affirm a willingness to remember that, to embrace that. And knowing that we are perfect. And in gratitude for knowing this, that God is all there is, that means us. I release this word knowing that it is true. And so it is acted upon now. I let it be. And so it is. Matthew 5, Introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, 
for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. One thing that ministers and uh, pastors of all flavors have to get ready for every year, and that is the inevitable question, why does Easter float around? Do you know what I mean? This is like a really early Easter, and last year it was a really late Easter. And what's that about? If we're celebrating the resurrection or the rebirth of of Jesus in the flesh, well, shouldn't it just have a a certain day that we'd celebrate it, right? (laughs) You'd think so. What is it with this floating around? Well, the early Christians realized this symbology, if you will, of this idea of rebirth. And what they really wanted to do was capture the imaginations of everyone, not just around a date, but rather a season for rebirth, a time when all of us can be interested in this thing called newness, this seasonality of spring, this, this time, if you will, for planting. And of course, uh, a couple thousand years ago, uh, most of us would have been involved in an agrarian society of some kind. You know, we might not have directly been on the farm, but we would have had friends that were on the farm. We would have been involved in that. It would have been our life's blood in our village or our community. And so the early Christian leaders felt that they would actually follow the seasonality of the first planting. And the tradition there was actually a lunar cycle, and it was like the, the, the first Sunday after the last full moon and, and so on, carefully calculated out every year, and that was the best time to plant. It, it basically was the, the first time when frost would not be likely to be there. And so you would come into the, uh, the chapel or the, the church or the cathedral, and the priest would literally bless you. You'd go home that week, and, and it would be time to plow the fields. So literally this symbolism of, uh, of newness, of rebirth, of planting, of springtime, of that vigorous life bursting forth in the soil and getting ready for another time of planting and harvest and so on, this was chosen on purpose. The symbology here was so potent that it was literally chosen on purpose. Well, today I would like to celebrate that same newness in us. I recognize that there is a a sweetness of spring, uh, even though we're not on the farm anymore, even though uh, probably our thoughts, uh, you know, we don't have to worry uh, about where the food comes other than our, you know, having our Safeway card or our discount at Fred Meyer, right? Uh, We don't have to worry about those things. And yet, who here doesn't feel that tug of newness in the spring? One of my prayer partners, totally out of the blue the other day, said, quite against her wishes, she bought a puppy. And I said, well, what was that about? And she said, I have no idea. She said, I was at the supermarket, and outside there was a box of puppies, and I just bought one. <laughs> and I, and I kind of inwardly smiled because, yes, much in the same way that, you know, it would have been lambs in the field. Today we have our own ways of celebrating spring. We have our own call towards newness and new life. And whether it's working out in our flower beds, whether it's uh, tuning up the lawnmower, whether it's uh, getting ready for any number of things that signal spring and summer, 
there's something alive in us that wants to celebrate this newness, this change in the seasons. And my intention today, Reverend Sharon and I decided we would really do this as kind of a full-scale blessing. We would like to bless everyone today on your mission for this new season of growth. Whether it's new love, whether it's new life, whether it's a, a new job, a new relationship, new, new ideas for freshness in your career, whatever it is that could be made sort of reborn, reinvigorated, re, rethought up in some new and fabulous way, we want to celebrate that with you today. And so that's why we're doing the Beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mount. Um, uh, Sharon read it, uh, Linda sang it, and uh, the Beatitudes are about conferring this kind of blessing on a group of people. And so I wanted to speak just a little bit about that today. And the, the place to start, of course, is what is a blessing? And I managed to find a, a lovely joke about blessings here. And this might be the only place in town where you could come on Easter Sunday and hear a story about the racetrack. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, feel free to enjoy this or not. <laughs> so a science of mind minister enjoyed placing small bets at the horse races, but he generally didn't win a thing. One day, he saw a Catholic priest, however, step out onto the track and bless one of the horses on the forehead. The horse was a long shot, but the science of mind minister thought, why not? We'll give it a try. The priest must know something. So he placed a small bet and won. Later in the day, he noticed the priest stepped onto the track again, blessed another horse's forehead, and even though the horse was an even longer shot, the minister thought, okay, we're going to go with this, and the horse won. Finally, third and final time, the priest stepped onto the track and approached yet another sad-looking horse. He blessed the forehead, eyes, ears, even the hooves of the horse. And although this horse had even greater odds against it, the minister thought, I'm going to go for broke here. There's no way I'm going to miss out on this. So he put all of his money on one last bet. The horse came in dead last. It had trouble completing the course. As he was walking out, he saw the priest. The minister demanded, what the heck happened here? All day long, you were blessing horses, and they won. Then I bought everything on this last horse, and he lost. Well, that's the problem with you science of mind, folks, said the priest. You can't tell the difference between a simple blessing and the last rites. <laughs> So what is this idea of a blessing? What is this idea of receiving a blessing or even blessing a meal? What is that about? Well, in biblical terms, the idea of being blessed means to be simply favored by God. The idea there is that blessings therefore are associated with God, that uh, God would bestow a blessing upon us under certain circumstances. Now, I'm not trying to imply here that God plays favorites to certain classes of people. Quite the contrary. I know that God's love and power and joy is here for everyone and everyone alike. But what the Beatitudes are about are suggesting that people with certain frames of minds, with certain aspects of themselves out in the world and inwardly in their thoughts and in their intentions, will naturally be blessed by God. 
And so I want to take a, a few minutes and talk about the Beatitudes. Now, what, what I would love to do, but it would take several hours, and I know we have things to do, is literally go through eight of them, all eight of them, and talk about them. But I do want to start off at least with the first three, and then we'll maybe do a summary. So first of all, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And when I initially read this many years ago, I thought, well, this is interesting. What does it mean? Why would I be blessed if I was poor-spirited? But, of course, 2,000 years ago, words tended to have a little bit different meaning. 2,000 years ago, the word spirit, you might think of it today as meaning willful. And, And so someone with high spirits would be someone who is very dogmatic, very sure of themselves, very committed to a course of action, whether it was right or wrong, one of those kind of inflexible and and kind of bull in a china shop kind of people. And so when Jesus here is talking about the poor in spirit, he's really talking about the people who are flexible, the people who can really look and be aware of what's going on in their lives and make judicial choices, not just plunging ahead on a course of action, you know, no matter what happens and no matter what other people are harmed or hurt. And so the idea here of blessed are the poor in spirit really is meaning blessed are those who will take the time to really see what's going on. Blessed are those who have some flexibility in themselves for making changes later in life. Blessed are those who are ready and willing to do what is necessary according to that inner voice of truth. Not necessarily what's going on out in the world, but that inner voice of truth and sweetness within themselves. This is that idea of the poor in spirit. And another way of looking at it might be the idea of, is it better to be right or is it better to be happy? Someone strong in spirit by this measure would mean someone who always has to be right. It's like, gosh darn it, this is the way to do it. Have you ever met anyone who had their opinions but made sure that everyone realized they were the right opinions? (laughs) You know, in the face of everything, in the face of good sense, in the face of having a good time, in the the face of having peace in the household, in the face of everything, by gosh, they're going to be right. Then there are those people who really take the long view. Those those people where peace and happiness, where harmony and joy are more important to them than being right in any particular moment. This is what Jesus was talking about. And these are the folks that will inherit the kingdom of heaven, true happiness here on earth. Next, Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, this one sounds fairly straightforward, the idea of someone in mourning, the idea of someone going through a loss. Well, of course, their friends and family will be there to comfort them. But uh, he intended more than that here as well. Because what happens when we're in mourning, when we have suffered a great loss, when we're in that position of having to let go of something very important to us, We are poised in a moment of great potential. There's that old saying that uh, that, uh, to have uh, loved and never lost is never to have really understood love. And I think there's some merit there. I think the idea that we go through some of our grief in life in order to be propelled even further into goodness, that how can we truly understand life 
and love, joy, unless we also experience some loss. And so the idea of being comforted, comforted here isn't just by our loved ones and, and people who are seeing us in that process of grief. It's being comforted by the planet as we move through it and out into the world. That, that seasonality, there's a time for grief, but then the wheel turns and there is a time for dancing and joy. The third beatitude is, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And, and I have a question for you here. Those of you who've done any Bible studies at all, who was the meekest person in the Bible? It was Moses. There are at least a dozen references to Moses in the Old Testament as being meek. And whole sermons have been written about the idea of being as meek as Moses. Well, I tell you, did any of you watch The Robe this last week or one of those Charlton Heston epics? I mean, according to our current definition of meek, Moses was anything but meek. Oh my gosh, he brought plagues down on the people of Egypt, right? He parted the Red Sea and drowned an army. This was not meek in the traditional sense of meek today. But 2,000 years ago, meek meant something a little bit different. And I wanted to quote from Emmett Fox in his, uh, um, his analysis of of Sermon on the Mount. He says the true significance of the word meek in the Bible is a mental attitude for which there aren't adequate words available today. It is that mental attitude which is both the secret of prosperity and the secret of success in prayer. It is a combination of open-mindedness, faith, and the realization that the will of God for us is always something joyous and interesting and vital. This state of mind also includes a perfect willingness to allow this will of God to come about in whatever way divine (laughs) wisdom might choose, rather than our own particular way that we have chosen. And so again, it's this idea of following that intuition in our hearts, not necessarily the signs and portents out in the world that say we should be a certain way or act a certain way, It is following what we know to be true in our heart and being open to the form it takes. And the idea of the meek inheriting the earth, what it's saying is the more flexible we are in the outcome, the better the outcome's going to be. We will truly inherit the earth as our heart's desire when we're, we've stopped trying to orchestrate every little detail of it, when, when we have given up that, that willfulness in us about how everything exactly, like I'm not going to be happy until or unless, you know, when we give up on the certainty of how our life is supposed to outlay and instead go with that faith that goodness is for us in whatever form it may take, then truly the forms get better. Truly the full strength of God can show itself in our lives. So five more Beatitudes. We don't really have time to do that today, but I wanted to just give you a flavor of them. So blessed are those who hunger for righteousness. In the biblical context, it means those full of integrity and right thinking. Blessed are the merciful, meaning those that absolutely will forgive others and and extend a hand of mercy to those in trouble. 
Blessed are the pure in heart, those that are willing to extend their hand in friendship, uh, not expecting anything in, uh, in return. Blessed are the peacemakers, those who are willing to go out on a limb like a, a Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King or a, or a Mahatma Gandhi, someone who um, is willing to put their own lives at risk in order for the harmony and peace of others. And finally, blessed are the persecuted, those people going against all odds or bucking the system, knowing in their hearts that what is right and what is good will serve the planet. These are the Beatitudes. These are the people that Jesus felt would automatically be blessed on this planet, that they would get to experience more of God, that they would get to experience heaven on earth. And Reverend Sharon and I would like to extend this blessing as well to you all. So I invite you for just a moment to close your eyes. And if you would, celebrating this idea of spring and rebirth, Think of something that perhaps need being born again in your own heart. Is there something in you that yearns to be in greater expression? Is there something in you that is called to come into a heightened awareness or a new way of being? Is there something in you that wishes to be born on this day? It might be something that sounds like one of those Beatitudes. It might be a willingness to follow your inner voice. It might be an open-mindedness and faith in God. It might be just a simple rebirth of your own job or your own life force or, or the love that you share with family and friends. Once you have something in your mind, Sharon and I, would like to bless you for it. And so, so here's how it's going to work. You can open your eyes once you've got a, an idea in your mind of something new that you'd like to experience. Sharon and I are going to do uh, individual blessings. As a symbol of spring, we have these daffodils that represented new life in my yard this year. We're going to have a little bit of background music. And as you're called, simply come up to either Reverend Sharon or myself, and we will honor you with a personal blessing for this this newness in your life.